For the last few months, Tori and I have been watching the show Alone. How many of you ever seen that? It's on the History Channel, right? And the premise is this. It's 10 people get dropped into the woods alone with basically just 10 items that they can pick. No food, no shelter, no water, miles away, most of the time in like Arctic Canada or uh, uh, somewhere over in Mongolia. And they last as long as they can with just these 10 items. And the last person to tap out wins. And it's insane. They end up almost starving themselves to death and coming in contact with bears and coyotes and wolverines and all kinds of things. The show was interviewing a winner at the end of one of the seasons. And they asked him how he was able to last 75 days out in the remote wilderness with practically nothing. And he said this. He said, I was able to suffer better and longer than anyone else. And one of the main things that sets Christianity apart when lived genuinely is the ability to suffer. Tim Keller says this about suffering. He says, suffering is at the very heart of the Christian faith. It's not only the way that Christ became like and redeemed us, It's one of the main ways that we become like him and experience his redemption. And that means that our suffering, despite its painfulness, is also filled with purpose and usefulness. See, many people mistakenly think that suffering isn't part of the walk for a believer. But that's simply not true. It says in Philippians 1.29, For it has been granted you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe, but also suffer for his sake. And the Bible's full of people who suffered while following God. Uh, Job and Joseph and David. Most of the disciples suffered persecution. Paul suffered immensely. But these men knew that suffering was just part of the gig. See, an unchallenged dedication can't be trusted. Are you ever truly following someone until you're tempted to quit, but you press on? You don't uh, know how deep a relationship is until it's tested. Paul talks about that in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And he says this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and I may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, and by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Paul here is describing his story. He's a religious leader in Judaism before he found Christ. He was, he was educated and respected and probably well off. And he looks at losing all of this when he became a follower of Jesus. And he says, all this was a loss compared to what I have in Christ now. Paul says, I want to know Christ more deeply. And if that means that I have to share in the suffering that Christ went through, sign me up. Tony Evans says, when we're going through a rough time, 
Remember that Jesus Christ invites you to get to know him better through it. He will hurt with you and you will get to understand him better through the process. Suffering is a call to intimacy with Christ. And when we walk through hard things with Jesus, we can experience the power of the resurrection. See, sometimes you must go through the valley of the shadow of death in order to know that God is with you. Now, lament is what we're talking about today, and lament is part of suffering. Lament is facing your suffering head on. Lament is the feeling of grief that comes from suffering. And there are people that are suffering that break from reality, right? And they deny that it happens and they avoid feeling it. And that's not healthy. Lament is a big part of being a Christian. One third of the Psalms in the Bible are Psalms of lament. There's a whole book called Lamentations. Here's a prayer of lament from Psalms chapter 13, verse 2. The psalmist says, How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? When was the last time you were that honest with God? How long am I going to go through this? Pastors, myself included, and other church leaders have not equipped our people well for suffering and grief that comes along with this life. We've not taught our people adequately how to lament. So we're going to talk about this morning about three different types of lamentation, of lamenting. And the first one is this, is lamenting about our circumstances, Things that happen to us and how it affects us and others. And if you haven't realized it yet, there is so much that happens in our lives that is outside of our control. At some point, maybe recently, you've been blindsided by something and it's taken your breath away and you feel stretched to your emotional and physical limit. You may be trying to hold it all together, but Anger and frustration and hopelessness and disappointment all flood your heart and mind. And things happen in our lives. But it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to fall apart and let it all out. There's been times in my life where I struggled with the circumstances that I was in and things looked hopeless. And I want to read you the lyrics to a song that helped me in a particular time of feeling lost, like everything was falling apart. The lyrics say this. It says, hold it all together. Everybody needs you strong. But life hits you out of nowhere and barely leaves you holding on. And when you're tired of fighting, chained by your control, there's freedom in surrender. Lay it down and let it go. So when you're on your knees and answers seem so far away, you're not alone. Stop holding on and just be held. Your world's not falling apart. It's falling into place. I'm on the throne. Stop holding on and just be held. Just be held. Just be held. 
If your eyes are on the storm, you'll wonder if I love you still. But if your eyes are on the cross, you'll know I always have and I always will. And not a tear is wasted. In time, you'll understand. I'm painting beauty from the ashes. Your life is in my hands. So when you're on your knees, an answer seems so far away. You're not alone. Stop holding on and just be held. Your world's not falling apart. It's falling into place. I'm on the throne. Stop holding on and just be held. Lift your hands. Lift your eyes. In the storm is well you'll find me. And where you are, I'll hold your heart. I'll hold your heart. Come to me. Find your rest in the arms of the God who won't let go. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to fall apart in the arms of your Savior. It's okay to cry. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to express doubt and frustration. But take your questions and doubts to the one that can do something about it. The psalmist cries out in lament to God in Psalms 102. When he says, hear my prayer. Lord, let my cry help of help come to you. Do not hide your face from me when I'm in distress. Turn your ear to me when I call. Answer me quickly. For my days vanish like smoke and my bones burn like glowing embers. My heart is blighted and withered like grass. I forget to eat my food. In my distress, I groan aloud and am reduced to skin and bones. God, do you hear me? God, I am suffering. Don't forget me. The psalmist cries out in an honest prayer. He feels forgotten. He feels hopeless. But you jump down just a few verses later in verse 12. And after getting all that off his chest and telling all that to God, he says, God, I know you sit on the throne. God, I know you have compassion on us. God, I know that you will hear me and you will do something and you will not leave me here alone. See, you can't get past the pain of your circumstances until you lament, until you let the floodgates loose. And then after the surge of pain and grief and sorrow, then you can point your heart back to what you know to be true. You can lament about all kinds of things. Jeremiah wept over lost land, over cattle, over a city that had lost its glory. In the book of Chronicles, they lamented that a great army was coming and all looked lost. These people were all honest with themselves and with God, and then they took their concerns to God. Don't run away from the one that can help you. Jesus knew the disciples would have a lot of questions and doubts during his trial and beatings and crucifixion. And Jesus did his best to prepare his disciples for what was about to happen. They didn't really remember in the moment and they fled and they lost hope. But they would look back one day and see that God's hands was all over their circumstances. Jesus told us that life would be hard and things that would happen would cause us sorrow But take heart, ultimately, he has overcome it all. And he told this to his disciples, that that persecution was coming and things were going to get harder. Then he drops this gem in the middle of all of it in John 16, 33. Jesus says, I've said these things to you, that in me you might have peace. 
In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. We can have peace in the midst of our lament because there are, these things are not surprises to God. Death, disease, financial ruin, broken hearts, none of that catches God by surprise. God is with you in that pain. God cares. He loves you more than you could ever love him. And he promises that this sorrow will not last forever. One day, it will be overcome. N.T. Wright says this about this passage. He says, somehow... Even in the worst that is to come, the disciples can have peace that will carry them through. Now, this peace doesn't come from a detached philosophical attitude. It isn't a matter of saying, oh, well, these things happen. It isn't a shrug of the shoulders, resigning yourself to the world being a nasty place and there being nothing much that you can do about it. No, it's a matter of standing on the ground that Jesus is going to win. Indeed. That here he claims to have won already. You will have trouble in this world, but cheer up, Jesus says. I've defeated the world. Circumstances are one of the reasons we can lament. We feel that right now, right? We're in, uh, you know, I don't even know how many years. Year 23 of a pandemic, I think. Right? Things outside of our control. But we can lament about those circumstances. It's okay to take those frustrations and those doubts and those questions to God. But our circumstances are not the only reason we can lament. We can also lament about our own sin. In Psalms 51, King David laments over his sin of adultery or maybe even perhaps assault of Bathsheba. And then the murder of her husband, just gross and and, and terrible sin. But it's clear in these verses that David was completely open with his sin. He knew he had been found out. He brought his sins to God. He stopped defending himself. And he saw his sin before God for what it was. Psalms 51.1, we see David lament over his sin. David says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin. Did my mother conceive me? Here from David, you don't see any excuses. You don't see this like, well, Bathsheba dressed inappropriately. She came on to me. This isn't fair. This wasn't all my fault. No, we see complete repentance here from David. Complete ownership over the sin. David doesn't glaze over it and then try and change the subject or or blame someone else. No, he's completely open to whatever consequences may come from his sin. And he did. He suffered the consequences. And we can be tempted to look at David's gross sin and say, we're on a better level. But we are all sinners. We're all in the same boat, and that boat is sinking. Sin has shipwrecked our lives, and your sins may be different, but we're all brought forth in iniquity. But 
1 John 1, 8 goes on and says, if we, have no, if we say we have no sin, then we've deceived ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But the story isn't over. The next verse goes on. Here it says, God knows you deeply. And yes, he's repulsed by your sin because he is holy and he is just. But then he still says this in the next verse, in verse 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what do you do? You own your sin. You don't cover it like Adam and Eve. And instead you run to Jesus and confess your sin and lament over it and feel the weight of it. And then accept that forgiveness that Jesus offers because he is faithful. Psalms 139, 23, the psalmist says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. I am guilty. I will own what I have done without excuse. I will not blame others. I will not blame my circumstances, my upbringing. I will clean up my side of the street. We can lament how our sins hurt people and separate us from God and then confess it and accept that forgiveness. So we can lament over our circumstances. Feeling sorrow is not a lack of faith. We can lament over our circumstances. We can lament over our sin. And this last one's the big one. This last one's a hard one. Lastly, we can lament over the sins of others. It's a hard one for us as Americans. We are a very independent and individualistic company, uh, country. Maybe your company's like that too. But we're individualistic. And when we as a group or a culture culture or a city or a country commit the sins of, of ostracizing people or ignoring people in need, disobeying the commands of loving God and loving our neighbor and loving our enemy, we like to excuse ourselves from any blame and responsibility. We like to point our fingers and act as if we aren't part of society. But the prophet Ezra showed us what it's like to lament over the sins of a whole people. See, Jerusalem at that point, when Ezra was this prophet, had broken God's law and brought paganism and sin into the land. And Ezra calls out to God and laments and confesses the sins of his people. Now, did he, as a prophet of God, explicitly participate in this paganism and this sin? I doubt it. But this is what he says in Ezra chapter 9, verse 6. He says, oh my God, I am ashamed. I'm ashamed and I blush to lift my face to you. My God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. He goes on in verse 10 and says, and now, oh God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments which you commanded by your servants, the prophets, saying, the land which you are entering to take possession of it is a land of impure and with impurity of the people of the land. And with their abominations, they have filled it from end to end with their uncleanness. Ezra goes to God and says, God, we have sinned. My people, 
my country, my land has sinned against you. And when Ezra came to God and he preached to the people, they repented and they wept and leapt and uh, lamented and, and confessed and felt the pain of their sin. Jonah, you know that old story, right? Jonah went to the people of Nineveh with the message that they needed to repent of their sin. The Bible tells us the whole country grieved and lamented their sin. The Ninevites weren't dismissive. They weren't defensive. They didn't point fingers. They wept in sackcloths and ashes, and they corporately lamented their corporate sins, and God heard them. So what are our corporate sins that are open and unrepentant that haven't been dealt with? The ones that we don't want to talk about, the ones that we want to separate ourselves from and that make us defensive and that we don't want to admit. Well, I have a difficult conversation to have with you. Josh and I left heartbroken a few months ago after a meeting with some local leaders uh, in our community about racism. And we listened to the stories about how African-American people had suffered firsthand the effects of racism in Harrison County. And Josh and I were particularly grieved that Clarksburg Baptist Church came up twice as these people told their stories. We listened to an older gentleman that has attended Mount Zion Baptist Church just a few blocks away for 40 years. And he talked about how that church was formed. If you aren't familiar with that, around 1870, 14 African-Americans in our church came to the church council and requested that they form their own church, which is now known as Mount Zion Baptist Church. For context, to put your, your brain in it, uh, this is about five years after the end of the Civil War. I found the minutes for this meeting, and, and on paper, it looks okay, right? But this man that's been around Mount Zion for 40 years spoke up about the story about how their church was founded that's been recounted from generation to generation in that church. See, the reason they wanted to form their own church was because they were made to sit up in the balcony because of their skin color. They were unable to meet by themselves or use the building unless a white person was present with them. And that man looked at Josh and I and said, we realize this is part of our history. Do you tell this as part of your history? Josh and I listened and we grieved that our church, my church, ostracized people that were made in the image of God to the point they felt they needed to start their own church so that they could have full access to membership. See, we like to celebrate our victories, but we're slow to admit our failures. And there's a church in our town that has a history that started with the fact that they didn't feel welcome at Clarksburg Baptist Church. Our church. My church. Now, Pastor Armand and Mount Zion have been nothing but kind to this church and to myself. I've worshipped with them and eaten with them, and, and they've never brought this up. And he prays for me, and he prays for this church, and we are friends. But this part of our history is something to be recognized and lamented over. We hurt people and the ripples are felt today. And your first reaction might be, but I wasn't there and neither were they. But we claim the victories of Clarksburg Baptist Church, right? So we must own the sin too. 
And through this lament, we can be drawn closer to God and each other. See, it wasn't me, but it was us. The name's still the same on the side of the building. Pastor Phil, that's 150 years ago. People that don't like that that happened should get over that. Well, another man spoke up. This time a man in his 40s. And he told a story as well. And this time it was only 30 years ago. As a teenager, he rode on a church van down to Alderson Broadus to watch a basketball game. He was the only African-American on the van. A girl on the van started flirting with this young man. Another young man got jealous or something, and, and he began to relentlessly make dumb N-word jokes. Everyone on the van jumped in. But, but broke this young man's heart more than anything is that the leader that was driving that van was laughing as loud as anyone. And this young African-American man didn't know what to do, right? What could he do? He was outnumbered. But what he did was the next day before school, he placed a switchblade in his backpack. And he said, I didn't know what to do. I was humiliated and I had had enough. I felt powerless. And he had every intention on stabbing that young man at school the next day, the one that had dehumanized him. He didn't feel like he had any other recourse. Who was going to listen to him? Who was going to care? Who was going to stand up for him? Now he praised God. But his dad picked up on this anger and he searched his backpack and, and that was not the story that was told. This man's only about 10 years older than I am. And I, I dreaded asking the question afterwards. I said, please tell me that wasn't Clarksburg Baptist Church. Sadly, it was. This man wasn't angry at me, wasn't mad at our church, knowing that this is not all the same people that were here 30 years ago. I apologized to him as the pastor of this church with the hopes that maybe that would help heal some wounds. But when we don't properly lament over our sin and repent from it, we're doomed to repeat it. We have to own that part of our history. We can't ignore it and say, get over it. And if you're anything like me, your reaction, firstly, to these stories is shame and embarrassment and heartbreak that we have hurt people. And then the desire to do something, right? But what do we do? How do we make sure that we don't run from our past and become defensive and sweep things under the rug? I don't know yet. But I hope that you would pray with me about this. That God would lead us to lament and to own our sin and the sins of our people. And then work to make things right with the people that we have hurt. Ezra was ashamed and blushed because of the sins of his people. Our country and our Church has things to repent from. And through our honest and sincere lament, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want you to know I didn't seek these things out. I didn't go and shake trees to try and figure out the sins of Clarksburg Baptist Church. These things were laid in my lap on the day that I was writing this sermon. This wasn't part of it at first. 
And this is a tough message to preach, right? Lament is not a fun subject. I'd much rather talk about all the happy things and all the victories. But we are drawn closer to God when we don't run from these hard conversations and we don't defend ourselves and put up walls. Suffering is part of the Christian faith. Whether that's suffering because what has happened to us or what we have done to hurt others. Like we read before, Tim Keller said, suffering is at the very heart of the Christian faith. It's not only the way that we become like Christ. It's not only the way that he became like us and redeemed us, but it's one of the ways that we become like him and experience his redemption. And that means our suffering, despite its painfulness, is also filled with purpose and usefulness. Don't run from this stuff. This is so valuable. This is where we begin to kill our flesh, right? And these defensive things that peak up in us. Take these sorrows to God. Lament over your circumstances. Fall apart if you need to. It's okay to not be okay. Let God hold you up. You've got doubts. You've got questions. Be honest and then put your hope in the Lord. Lament over your circumstances. Lament over your sin. Lament how my sin hurts people and separates me from God and confess it and accept that amazing forgiveness that he has for us. And lastly, lament for the sins of others. We must admit the sins of our country and our fathers and our cultures and our church. That is justice. God, help us to stop being defensive and to confess and seek restoration and relationships. Because pain is generational. And so is healing. And to lament is to feel suffering. Christians should be competent lamenters. And we should regularly talk to God about our sorrows and our struggles and our pains and our embarrassments and our shame. Suffering is a call to intimacy with God. Christians should learn to lament. Have your heads bowed and eyes closed. I'd much rather have preached a message to you about five ways to be happy. But it's also important for us to be genuine, for us to own our stuff. Maybe you're here today and you're the one that you're, you're going through something. I'm sure in a room uh, this size with people in it and, and those online, half, maybe more, have something that they just feel like they're on the edge of just letting loose. That's okay to do. To take your things to God and grieve and lament and mourn over them. Maybe you've got sin in your life. And the first step for you is to take your things to God and to stop putting up walls of defensiveness and, and blame someone else and to diminish our sin as if it's acceptable sin. If we are, faith, uh, if we are faithful to take those things to God, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is ridiculous to hold on to your sin. 
It doesn't make any sense because our God is faithful and he is full of mercy. And that sin is something that will hurt you. And God wants to protect you from that pain. Maybe we're a type of person where we don't like to accept that we own some responsibility for, for the sins of others. Yeah, it wasn't me, but it's on me to make it right. It wasn't me, but it was us. And that's a hard one. I don't have steps for you. I don't have, you know, this simple, easy way to make everything right. But I do know this. We have to own it. We have to let go of our defensiveness and accept that we as a people, have taken part in things that have hurt others. And they still feel that pain today. God, I pray you search our hearts today. If there's anything we're holding back from you because we're scared to let go of the, the floodgates because we're not sure we're going to be able to rein it back in, God, I pray you help us to put those fears to the side and just... Lament and express the sorrow and the grief and the anger and the guilt and the shame that we have. Help us not to be scared to deal with our stuff. Help us to empty out the skeletons in our closet and to be genuine and to be real and to be open and to be transparent and to own it. And God, help us to run to you. We thank you for this promise that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe you're here today and you're not sure that you are a sinner. Or excuse me, uh, you're, you're not sure you're a Christian. Maybe you haven't quite accepted that you're a sinner either. The Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned, and we need that forgiveness. And if you can't go back to a time and a place where you let go of all your good works, anything that you've done, and you simply just put your faith in Jesus Christ as the only means of your redemption, the only means of your salvation, the only means of a relationship with God, you can do that right now. Maybe you're online, maybe you're in person, and you can't go back to a time and a place where you called out to God and realized that you were a sinner and that Jesus paid the penalty for your sin. Put your faith in him once and for all. You can do that today. The words aren't magic. You can call out to God and just be sincere. God knows your heart. Ask for forgiveness of your sins. Put your faith in what he did on the cross. And believe in him.